the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. There's no better place to get breaking news, long form stories, and personalized information about your favorite leagues and teams than The Athletic. Download the app, tell them who you like, and you'll get updated ad free content every single day. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription. Happy Thursday morning. My name is Mike Giannetti. A couple of great guests today. Keith Smith, our NBA guru, hops in. He's got a big tie to the Boston Celtics. He covers them pretty thoroughly, day in, day out. He writes for the Celtics blog as well. So he's got a lot of connections to that organization, which just, well, let's just just say they... uh, they, they, they switched things up a little bit here. Let's put it that way. Coach promoted, GM out. What happens next? I think this is just step one of a, uh, of a multi-phase project to fix the Boston Celtics who had a disappointing year by all guards. So Keith Smith joins us on the front side here to kind of break down the Celtics, break down some of these playoff matchups, talk a little bit about the roster construction situation, both in Boston and in basketball as a whole. He's always a great listener. Then in the back end, our good friend Lindsay Adler from The Athletic covers the Yankees. She's back to talk about, look, this Yankees team is six, six games over 500, but it feels like they're at the bottom of the division. They're not. I know the sky isn't falling, but they don't look great. There's a lot of errors. There's a lot of base running gaffes. There's maybe some coaching deficiencies. Lindsay's t- tied at the hip to this team and uh, always bring great insight, bring some, some notes that I didn't think about. Um, we kind of break down this Yankees roster as it exists now, maybe what can happen over the next couple of weeks via trade deadline and uh, what the expectations should be for this team from a financial standpoint as well. So uh, two guest show off the top here. I got to just throw a quick shout out to another athletic article here. Robert Mays, the senior athletic writer at The Athletic. Great piece this morning on we know that the Buccaneers brought back all 22 starters from the Super Bowl, and that's never happened. But what does it mean? What what could it mean for this Tampa Bay team? Because there's really nothing harder than repeating as champions in this league, in the NFL. He did a really great breakdown on the last seven Super Bowl winners, what kind of retention they had in terms of bringing back the roster, bringing back the Super Bowl roster, what that meant for the season after, you know, maybe what the deficiencies were on each team and how that compares to what this Bucks team really could be. Uh, in version 2.0. So great piece on The Athletic from Robert Mays. Definitely a good read over a cup of coffee this morning if you can get there as well. All right, let's talk some basketball with Keith Smith. But first, today's episode is also brought to you by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need including access to financing and support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more today at Morgan Stanley's pre and post draft loan program by visiting morganstanley.com slash GSE. It's morganstanley.com slash GSE. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. A great follow. You are a Celtics are you a fan or are you, are you em, sort of employed by the Celtics here? How does that work? <laughs> uh, so I grew up as a Celtics fan. Yeah. Uh, and then, then when I started covering the team, a lot of that fandom kind of went out the window trying to be more objective. So I would say like cover the team is how I generally tend to put it. Okay. Well, it's a good time to cover the Celtics. There's uh, plenty of fireworks <laughs> happening here. 
Let's just get your overall thoughts about what happened. I imagine you didn't see this coming. I, I, I'm guessing based on what we've, we've talked about before, you assumed that, that some kind of movement was going to happen. Uh, but I have to guess that it wasn't this, this entire package. No, it certainly was not. The, the Danny Ainge part, that part is, it's surprising, but not shocking. If that makes sense. It's, it's, it was one of those things that had been kind of bubbling for the last couple of years. He had a heart attack uh, in the, during the playoffs in 2019, he had talked since then about, you know, maybe it's time to slow down. My family would like me to consider stepping away from the stress of this job and all those kind of things. But he always said, you know, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. But then you started to hear over the last uh, probably about two ish months or so that, you know, yeah, he's talking about retirement again. He's dropped hints repeatedly of, I don't know how much longer I'll be doing this. So that part, surprising but not shocking the brad stevens part completely shocking uh that really came out of nowhere um and that that one is um you know uh that that is surprising because there was never a sense brad stevens wanted to do anything but coach um but you know as the the reports are coming out and he you know has spoken on it it sounds like as this came together he started to warm to the idea of all right you know if we're gonna do this let's keep it you know some stability within the organization and within the family and let's you know move upstairs and you know see how this goes so it's certainly going to be interesting to see because in some ways now you have uh, a little bit of uncertainty at two of the most important positions in a basketball organization as far as leading the front office and on the bench. So do you think ownership worked with Brad Stevens or was, uh, and I'm speculating of course, and I'm, I'm also thinking contractually here because he did sign an extension that locked him up through, I think 25, 26 season. So he was heavily under contract. I imagine that's mostly guaranteed uh, from a buyout perspective. Do you think there's anything to, Brad Stevens was on the hot seat as well, and this was sort of an alternative way to keep him under contract and get get the best out of that money? Yeah, I, I think the fact that he was signed under contract factored in. I don't think he was on the hot seat because I, I would think if you were going to – if you didn't like him that much as a coach, I, I think I don't think you'd really say, well, you know, we don't really like, like you as a coach, but here, run the whole team. Um, that, that part, I think they'd probably just move on from him, eat the money and, you know, say, well, it is what it is. But I think the fact that he was under contract for so long, that makes the transition like this easier because we already got you here. Let's move up. Steven said, um, had they, you know, replaced Danny Ainge with someone else, his intention was to stay, you know, as the coach, uh, both of the team's governors that were there with Grousebeck and Steve Pagliuca both said, Hey, we're, we're in a spot where we were happy to have Brad continue as the coach. That would have been a condition upon anybody who took over the front office that he would stay as the head coach. Um, but as it came together, this was the opportunity to say, you know, Hey, you want to try something different? Maybe uh, we, we like the idea of, you know, you running the team and then they all came together. It sounds like it, you know, quickly is a you know relative term. It, it didn't come together quickly in the last couple of days, but it came together uh, fairly quickly over the last couple of months. With Stevens knowing these players on the roster and now shifting towards the front office, what is this roster going to look like moving forward? Are, are they going to, do you think they're going to move on from a lot of pieces? Is everyone but Tatum and maybe Brown untouchable or are, is maybe Brown still touchable with a trade? What What is your sense? Yeah, I think you're going to see Stevens made some comments throughout the year 
uh, that uh, lent themselves to believe he didn't exactly love the way the roster was put together. Uh, One was about uh, they played two bigs together for the first time, uh, or for most of the time, rather. And that's the first time they did that since Al Horford was kind of insistent that he was a four uh, more than a five. And Stevens, you know, repeatedly said, you know, when asked, like, this doesn't seem to go well, why are you doing it? He's like, they all need to play, and this is the way the roster is built, so I have to play them um, this way. So that that kind of leads itself to me to say, yeah, he's going to make some changes. He's going to move some guys out. He's going to move on from from a couple guys probably here. They, they don't have a ton of uh, roster flexibility. <clears throat> There's only uh, uh, four, three uh, pending free agents, <clears throat> excuse me, if you take out the two-way players. So uh, Evan Fournier is the, the primary guy among them. So, you know, we'll, we'll find out real quick how for, uh, Steven saw to Fournier in that trade, if he wants to, you know, invest in re-signing Evan Fournier or not. And then the the, the bigger question becomes, all right, what do you do with Kemba Walker? He couldn't finish the playoff series. He's owed 73 plus million over the next two years because that, that player option in 22-23, I'm pretty certain he's picking that one up. Um, so that turns into, you know, all right, that's probably you've got to attach something to that, if not a couple of something, you know, it may be a combination of young players and picks. And then Marcus Smart's and going into being an expiring contract, you put him and Tristan Thompson together, that's, you know, about $24 million in expiring money that you might be able to use to go get something to, to upgrade the roster around Tatum and Brown. I would assume Tatum and Brown are as close to untouchable as it gets. But everybody else on the roster, I, I we'll, we'll find out real quick here how Stevens felt about them because this is a very different sort of transition where he directly coached them, and now he's going to be the guy deciding whether they stay or go. Do you do you think that they're likely to use that eleven million dollars left over on that Gordon Haywood uh, trade exception, or do you think that'll just go by the wayside because that that goes up until what late November? Uh, so, so what do you think about that? You think you'll they'll try to acquire a, another player using that, or? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, I think that's probably their best tool to use because it's you know clearly fairly large, but the challenge is that it has to be a trade or a waiver claim. Um, and even you know I've had some folks say, well, you could sign and trade a guy. The problem is acquiring a player via sign and trade that then will hard cap the team. And right. this is a team that's going to be floating right around that hard cap number, assuming, assuming they don't you know, do some form of salary dump with Kemba Walker or something like that. If they move Walker out and take back far less salary um, or, you know, no salary and, you know, maybe even kind of a pipe dream scenario, then what you're going to see in that situation is that that creates all sorts of flexibility. They can do a lot more. But as it stands right now, because you've got Walker on the books at 36 million, Brown at 25, Tatum's contract extension kicks in. That'll be at least 28.1 million. Smart's at 14. You got Fournier to resign. You get some dead money. Yeah, all that stuff. That makes it hard to use that trade exception. So I'm not sure um, that it necessarily gets used. It, it may, but it, that may be one you you know kind of let's see you know where things are coming together and you know how how this roster looks and that. I think it's more likely to use the taxpayer uh, mid level exception because that's probably what they'll be limited to um, and, and fill out with that own draft pick and then maybe a minimum signing because as i said before the roster doesn't have a ton of flexibility either as far as open roster spots 
let's flip to more of a team building perspective, Keith. And I actually want to, I want your, your take as if you're the GM here. Okay. You're Brad Stevens. You were just promoted. Uh, I, I like that you kind of brought into the, into the conversation that he has already sort of expressed some, some displeasant with, with what the roster was built like, how it looks like. The, the only thing I can say from the outside looking in is this team is just too young. And it has been for years. This team has made eight draft picks over the past two years, you know, 15 over the past four. And they're not getting rid of these kind of players. They're keeping these players in tow. It's obviously they're not expensive players, so it helps from a cap perspective. But I don't think it helps from a winning perspective. We've had this discussion before. You know, it's it's this time of year. It's time for experienced players to go and win championships. That's what that's what it takes. I just don't think Danny Ainge did enough to round the roster out with legitimate, experienced veterans to go with back-to-back lightning-in-a-bottle draft picks in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I mean, you, he struck gold twice and then tried to do it five more times. And to me, that's the issue. Where are you with that? And is there is there more than just they need more experience on this team? Yeah, we are in lockstep on that one. I, I am of the belief that, you know, once you nailed the Brown and Tatum picks, and it was about, what, a month into their careers, you felt pretty good that, that those guys were going to be good. It was time to use those other picks in different ways. Because while it sounds great to have all these draft picks and have this really, you know, good young roster that can grow together, that's you. You mentioned one. That's not how teams win. You have to have some form of veteran presence. Then eventually, they all become free agents within a few years of each other, and they're too expensive to keep them all anyway. So you're really only building a four to five year window at max anyway with all those guys together, and that's hoping that the young players grow like Tatum and Brown did. And when you were picking in the middle of the lottery, that was a far far less likely. Uh, than, than it was with Tatum and Brown, who were t- uh, both picked at number three. So I was very much on board with they, they need to move some of those picks. <clears throat> now that they're, they're players, their value becomes a little bit different because not every team in the every team in the league has a sense of what they feel like the 14th pick in the draft is worth. Not everybody in the in the league has the same sense of, all right, Romeo Langford is worth this. You know, you're going to get varying opinions on that. Aaron Neesmith is worth that. You're going to get widely varying opinions on that. So once they turn into players, that's you a great that point. Unknown. Great point. <clears throat> yeah. It, it really is one of those things where I always say all the time, if you've got that kind of mid round pick and you want to move it and now that's where they're sitting again, they're going to have the 16th pick in this draft. So what I would start to do is um, if it takes and so, so this is strictly me, and this is not what I think they will do, but this is, if, as you said, I'm in charge now, I'm running the team. I would package this year's pick and either another future first, because I believe that's what it's going to take to get off Kemba Walker's contract and see if you can move him. Move him to you know one of these teams with cap space or flexibility or whatever. If you could move him and, and uh, swap him for a guy like Al Horford, I think that rebalances you in a much better way. I would, um, if you, barring that, I would look to move that pick, uh, move it down the line. You know, even if it's just for a future pick and an additional second or something like that, move that so that's down the line. Because the last thing this team needs is another young rookie stepping into this roster where there's probably just not going to be playing time available. Uh, then I would see what I could get if, you know, if I wanted, if, if I could package together a couple of the young guys to go bring in a veteran who goes, they're not going to go that far in salary matching. But if you add a couple of them to Tristan Thompson, 
now all of a sudden you're talking. Now, now you've got a number where you can go go get somebody. And that that's what I think you need to do. I think uh, Brad Stevens has talked about regularly. And now that uh, going back through some of those quotes and rereading them over the last day here, it really says, all right, this is clear. This was, you know, where his mind was at. Cause he's talked about how important it is for them to maximize Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And he always talked about it in generalities. It wasn't just, you know, with who, you know, with the way we use them and what the X's and O's are, it was, you know, who's with them on the floor, what kind of talent we surround them. We need to maximize our best players abilities. And to me, that's as he's thinking about that from the roster construction as a whole, already is I read those with hindsight. So, so I think you're going to see him. I, I'm not going to say he's going to come in and make sweeping changes. I, I don't think this is going to be, uh, you know, pulling a page out of Danny Ainge's book and trading, you know, half the roster away. But I do think you're going to see some changes made because Stevens knows, you know, all right, I don't think you can win with player X or I think it's going to be, you know, three years before you can win with that. The one caveat I will say to that, um, to wrap up the, this very long answer to your short question is um, Stevens now has to think about it with a slightly different mindset. Mm-hmm. Every coach in the NBA would rather have veterans than rookies, especially coming off their bench. Even the guys who are walking into a rebuilding situation would rather have that because you know, you win more with veterans. So a coach is always more in the today um, mindset than anybody else. The front office needs to have a bigger picture, a five, six, seven year picture where they're they're you know projecting things out. And that's why, you know, I think Danny Ainge got caught far too much in, hey, I can, you know, instead of having a you know four or five year window, I can blow that window open and have have it here. But I, I think it just went way too far. So I'm curious to see more than anything how Steven's approach changes now that he's going to have a longer term vision than what's right in front of him uh, coming up here in the immediate. Yeah, there's no question that the the five-year window should be a three-year window now in all sports. I mean, you know, and, and yeah. in, including, you know, this team, the dynamic that fascinates me the most, and, and I had a little bit of a taste of this with the New York Mets when they hired Bertie Van Wagen, an agent, as the GM. And he was the agent of like six of the most prominent Mets at the time, right? He had to, he had to relinquish that role to become the GM of the team. So there was so much back and forth. There was so much like awkward conflict happening with every decision and everything was being monitored so closely. I, I think we're going to get some of this here, right? Every move Brad Stevens makes for the next 18 months is going to have some sort of backlash because, you know, well, well, what did he think while he was coaching? You know, was there discord? Was yep. there disconnect? It's going to be a loaded situation. I think he can handle it. He seems like a rock solid kind of guy, but he's getting himself into quite a role here. Yeah, he absolutely is. I, I think about let's go all the way kind of towards the back end of the roster. A guy like Shemi Ojale, if Steve, he's a free agent, if Stevens doesn't re-sign him, your instantly the reaction's gonna be yes, he, he thought he stayed. He hated that pick. You know, so he doesn't want him, right? <laughs> so yeah, so that's that that's certainly gonna happen. Now Stevens um said yesterday in the transition press conference, he he tried to deflect a lot of the talk about the future, uh saying he really wanted to, you know, make it more of a celebration of Danny Ainge and those kind of things. But one thing that he he did say is what he learned from Danny Ainge is you can do what you have to do in the front office role as far as signing players, waving players, trading players, and still care about them as mm-hmm. people. And he talked about that with Evan Turner, um, how, you know, Turner left, but they, the Celtics always loved him and that. Now, that's a very easy example because Evan Turner got paid so much money that Danny Ainge said, go sign that contract, you know, right now. 
to F Turner. So, uh, so that, that's a very easy uh, example to, to pick from there where, where it looks like you did right by a guy. But I do believe Stevens, when he says, you know, Hey, if we don't re-sign a guy or we trade a guy, it doesn't mean we didn't like him. You know, it, it just means that we're, you know, we're, we're moving in a slightly different direction. So, but, but you're absolutely right that there's going to be a referendum on every move he makes. If, you know, if let's say he, you know, puts together a, uh, but let's say, but let's, let's be really, really silly about this. And he puts together a trade of, you know, Jalen Brown for Nikola Jokic. The half the people are going to no half the people are going to look at, well, he got Nikola Jokic. He's great. People are going to be like, well, I guess he didn't like Jalen Brown. That's right. Much. You know, and that's, and that's just something he's going to have to deal with, you know, go going forward. You know, and I, and I think that's, I, I think you're right though. I think his personality where he is so even keeled and very little ever seems to bother him, at least publicly. I think that's going to serve him well because, you know, what, what you'll do is he'll make the deal. He'll do the, uh, you know, uh, customary uh, post-trade uh, press conference to talk about it. And then he'll, you know, it'll, it'll just be the you know, platitudes of we wish the player well and wherever he goes on to next. And that, that'll be the extent of it. Can I give you my point guard scenario? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> we've had, I think we've had this discussion before, maybe even last time we had you on. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here since you since you brought it up. I'm sitting here trying to find teams that could take on Kemba Walker and maybe would be dumb <laughs> enough to take on Kemba Walker. Um, how about a sign and trade situation with Lonzo Ball in New Orleans? Yeah, that one gets brought up a lot. And I think, and, and I think maybe that is one where, especially if you were willing to uh, make up the difference and like eat Steven Adams contract or even Eric Bledsoe. Yep. Um, I, I think you could maybe see something uh, uh, there. I, you know, there's clearly Oklahoma city is the one that gets brought up a lot, but at, at some point, Oklahoma city, they're not going to do the Philadelphia and do this for three years. It's been a year. And I think they're going to turn that uh, quicker. Um, so, you know, a lot of people keep, keep going there. And then the, the one, the one that I, I, you know, keep telling people, like, I don't think it's happening, but everybody wants to love the uh, Knicks scenario, no. um, you know, out there. And I was like, the, the Knicks front office just showed that's not, you know, if, if this was two years ago, hundred percent, I, I, th- I think that would be on the table now under this new, new regime. Yeah, I don't think so, but yeah. And then the other one, because they showed interest in signing him in the past, has been the Dallas Mavericks, right. but I just think the Mavericks know they have enough other uh, kind, of, kind of holes that they have to work around. So yeah, it's it's. I, I think if you could do something where you're moving on from him and you're getting back some form of of asset, you've done really really well um, there. It's just the the challenge in Alonzo Ball sign and trade is you know you're going to have to probably probably it'd probably be Walker and a pick or two. Um, you know, to, to make that a, at least a pick or two, you know, maybe throw in, you know, one of the younger guys that was just recently drafted, mm-hmm. but then you still trip into that hard cap scenario where that limits how much money you can uh, bring back in full. But yeah, the, the, those are the kind of things that I think you're going to have to get really creative if you want to move on. I, I think they'll do what they can, but I think it is far more likely, you know, and I, I hate to be the wet blanket here, yeah. but I think it's far more likely that Kemba Walker, at least for one more year, until it turns into, all right, well, now you can sell that he's an expiring contract in 22, 23. Uh, I, I, th- I think he's he's back in Boston, and you're just kind of hoping for the best with him staying healthy. I think you're right. 
I think, I'm, although we've said it before, right? Al Horford. There's been so many contracts that have been yeah. have been taken on by teams. Uh, real quick, uh, John Wall for Russell Westbrook. Well, that was just a, that was a match made in heaven. You're not going to have that every year. Right? No, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one more from me. One more from Scott. We'll get you out of here. Um, the you mentioned Oklahoma City. Excuse me. There's been so much talk about shouldn't Sam Presti have gotten this job or at least been offered this job in Boston. To me, he's everything that Boston shouldn't be right now. <laughs> I mean, he has been accumulating draft picks for a decade and a half. And, you know, ever since he, he lost the big three, the big four, which is understandable in that market. But he, he to me, has the 10-year the mindset, not the two- or three-year mindset. Was that ever going to be a fit for you in this situation? Or am I kind of misquoting what Sam Presti can be? Yeah, I, I think he... I, the thing I wonder is, is that circumstance versus his actual plan. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start to find that out over the next couple of years, because if this continues to stretch out, well, then that, then, then that's clearly his plan and his vision was to you know stretch this thing out after he lost the great players he lost. But if they, if they turn around and, you know, within the next couple of years here, use the cap space and start packaging, I mean, they can't use all of those draft picks. It's, I, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I was like, it, it's impossible. There, there's not enough, unless, unless he's backdoor and petitioning the NBA for 30 player rosters, they'll never be able to use all those picks. There's just only so many roster spots. So, I think what you're going to see is unless he, you know, kind of blows off his cap space or only continues to use it to eat, eat deals and continue to add to the pick pile. If he uses it to sign players, trade for, you know, useful players, and then also packages together those picks to go make trades, then you get a sense of, all right, this was a, you know, I'm tearing it down to the studs and now I'm going back after it. If he stretches it out, then it's clear his long-term vision. I think what happened, why he was, you know, before, in that, what was it, 30 minutes to an hour of, you know, Danges retiring and, you know, they're going to hire, they're, now they're hiring Stevens. Why you heard Sam Presti's name mentioned, now it's also been put out there in several reports that the Celtics considered him. He's a Massachusetts guy. So I think that becomes a, you know, all right, this would be a chance to bring a highly respected, well thought of uh, general manager on the league, bring him home. But that would have had to come with a conversation of, hey, you can't trade Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and try to start all over. You know, here, we, we, we've got to, you know, maximize those guys because I think um, uh, uh, Wick Grosbeck, the primary governor of the team, said it very clearly, like, we're about winning here. So they're, they're not about to, you know, kick off and launch any kind of big rebuild. So I don't know. Yeah, and who knows how far down the line they even really got with the Presti conversations or anything, or was that just more of a, hey, dream scenario, we could do this. Finish off with the coaching. Uh, two questions here. First is, I saw you put out a tweet with the odds-on favorite for the next Celtics coach. Who, who do you think is the best option for the Celtics moving forward out of that list that you tweeted out? And then subsequently, who else is on the hot seat in the NBA? I mean, this is obviously going to be the first domino to fall, and there's going to be some other coaches. Who do you think is next? Yeah, th th those are good questions. I, I think, you know, Woj kind of added a little bit of fuel to that fire when he said there are coaches who are still coaching in the playoffs that they're, they're interested in talking to. And a lot of people went to, you know, geez, you know, who who could it be? You know, some people went to, you know, is it Quinn Snyder if the Jazz fall apart? You know, could it be uh, Nate McMillan who still isn't locked in in Atlanta? Uh, those kind of things. On, on that list, um, it's funny because I go back and forth between – 
Stevens is a first time GM. Do you want a first time head coach mm. too? Is that, is that really where you want to go? Um, there's a reason Jay Laranaga is top on that list. He's Stevens top assistant. That's the easy transition, right? Cause you could move him. They, they each bump up a seat and then, uh, you know, Laranaga probably keeps most of the current staff around and they go. Cause Stevens was very clear. Um, his, his priority right now was making sure his staff was taken care of. Cause knowing if they hire outside the family, it's going to be, you know, that guy's going to want to come in with his own people. I, the two guys who jump out to me of that, that list, you know, pretty long list, uh, Lloyd Pierce and Kenny Atkinson. I think they're both good coaches. I think right now Boston is caught in between being young and being you know, ready. So I think both of those guys can help with the young portion of it while they have some experience with the ready portion of it. So I think, I think those are two guys, if they're going to go with a first time guy, I I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for Chauncey Billups to get that shot. Um, I, I think, you know, we've been so close to seeing that come down that, you know, that that's, you know, a direction I would, you know, at least consider, uh, you know, the, the Mike D'Antoni stuff, that seems to be a guy, a lot of the fans you're interested in, but I mean, he's 70 years old. I don't, you know, it, there's already been a lot of talk about, he didn't relate well to, you know, players in his last run in Houston. And I'm not sure, you know, putting a 70 year old in front of a roster, it's mostly filled with guys in there. Uh, early to mid twenties is definitely the the way you want to go. But yeah, I th- think there's stuff. Uh, but knowing the Celtics, it'll be somebody who's not not even anywhere near one of these lists that'll come out of left field. Um, they go. One other name that I will say, pe- people are really pushing hard for, and they'd love to see get a chance is Kara Lawson, who was on the staff, left to go take over the Duke program. They they shut it down because of COVID last year. Um, so there's a lot of talk of you know she could be pulled away from Duke. Um, bring her in as the first female head coach. Uh, you know that that would you know do do some things. I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think uh, she'll leave Duke. And then the only thing I'll close with is, please don't tweet me, email me, all the other stuff that's been going on with these Mike Shishovsky <laughs> conspiracy theories. Of, you know, you beat me to it, Keith. To take over. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just you know I mean that's where that that's where you know I, I think you guys know me well enough to to know I kind of live rooted in the real world. Um, that, that, that gets too far into fantasy land for me and my, my brain starts to break. <laughs> well, that's a perfect place to end it right there. Um, uh, <laughs> look, this isn't, this is one of, I think a few, I think this is, we're going to have many discussions with a couple of teams about this exact scenario, not so much the promotion to GM, which is its own dy- dynamic. And it's like I said, something we're gonna have to follow for every single move, but, um, it's been a good playoffs. Do you, don't you agree? Uh, it's been back and forth. I mean, nobody's really kicking butt outside of Brooklyn. You mentioned Utah. They're holding their own. I mean, that's that's a real team right there. They're back in form. They're healthy. That's a real team. Um, I don't know that any of these playoff teams really need to blow it up next year. Do you agree with that, Keith? Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think you're going to see someone is going to, you know, I think, I think Portland is uh, yeah, probably the yeah. one we're all looking at most likely if, you know, if they flame out, I think the Lakers are going to retool their depth pretty significantly. We'll see what happens with the Clippers, uh, Dallas, just cause they have the option to have, you know, a ton of cap space. Um, we'll see how they go, but yeah. And, and as far as the enjoyability of this playoffs, it's been really fun cause it's just so wide open. You know, we, we know we're going to get new teams, you know, Boston and Miami are already out in the East. So we're, we're all new teams in the East and, you know, the Lakers are, they're kind of hanging on by a thread. We'll see what happens with Denver ultimately. But yeah, that part to me is, is really, really fun. I, I think this has been, you know, one of the more enjoyable playoffs because even the four, one series that ended where the series wasn't close, at least we got a lot of good games. 
in, in those series. And, and that, that to me says, you know, that this was the season that it looked like it might be has kind of come to fruition with how well balanced uh, this whole year has been. It is Stotts on the hot seat. If Portland doesn't get out of this first round, is he one yeah, of those I, top coaches? I got to believe that that'll at least be, you know, under consideration. If not, you know, that entire group there. I, I don't know that Neil O'Shea will be on the hot seat, but there there are people there who are, you know, saying like, hey, how many years in a row of Damian Lillard's career when this guy has done nothing but say, I don't want to go anywhere? Are we going to basically run back the same team with just changing out the role players around him? There, there's a lot of people who are, you know, they're going after O'Shea and Stotts and, and those kind of things. So it, something's going to change there. And, you know, and the old saying always goes, you can't fire all the players. So you generally, you know, fire and move on from the coach. But, you know, that's a team that, you know, they, they've run up a pretty impressive uh, playoff streak. And, you know, that that's also, you know, hard to move away from when you're one of those kind of mid-market teams as far as, hey, every year we're, we're good. We're, we're never really great, but we're really good. We have Damian Lillard. But I, I, I think at some point, I don't think we're ever going to see, I believe him now when Damian Lillard says, I don't want to go anywhere else. So I don't think we're going to see the trade request. What I think we may see is Damian Lillard start to put that pressure on of, Hey, but I do want to win here. It's not enough for me to just be in the playoffs every year and, and do these things. You know, in the meantime, I'll continue to enjoy, you know, watching him do what he did the other night. Cause that was absolutely ridiculous. Do you, do you think he starts to pull LeBron and, sort of pull some strings of guys that he wants on the roster to start upgrading it so that he can get to win. Yeah. I, I, it's, that's interesting. I don't know that he'll pull the, pull the strings as far as um, any individual players, but I do think you'll see him start to push a little, you know, Hey, we gotta, we gotta make some trades. We gotta do some signing stuff here. Um, it's, it's the, the question is Ben, right. And I, I mean, I don't know how long we've been having this conversation, but it's, can Damon CJ win together as a backcourt, right? That's been, you know, for, for years now, uh, going back to, I think the end of, you know, McCollum's rookie contract that was, that was starting to be a conversation and that's, that's not going to go away. So I think, think that's probably more where you see him, you know, without being overt about who he wants or doesn't want. I, I think you'll see, you know, a little bit of pressure applied of, all right, Hey, I am not going anywhere, but let's get this done. I think we are going to start to see that. It's pretty simple for me. I mean, they're fourth in scoring. They're always going to be fourth in scoring with, with Dame Lillard, you know, top five. They're second worst in defensive rating, and they have been for years. They just they don't stop anybody. They never have. That's that's all they have to fix in this team. If they can shave five points off that rating, they're, they're you know, conference champs probably. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think um, if you go back, you know, again, hindsight being 2020, the Norman Powell acquisition yeah. to me says – for the first time, I, th- I think they're going to consider doing something with C.J. McCollum because now you you put – not that Powell's you know, huge, but he's a, just enough bigger of a guard next to Lillard. That gives you a little bit more versatility and optionality without downgrading your scoring all that much. It's, you know, you're, you're not going from uh, you know, C.J. McCollum to a, you know, um, a Patrick Beverly type at that position. You know, you're, you're, you're keeping you know, a pretty you know, solid defender who can defend up at least one position in Powell and he's, you know, he, he's a you know, fairly competent scorer. To me, that's that that gave them that kind of optionality of, all right, this gives us at least a, a way to transition. If this is the way we want to go versus we're going to plug one hole while creating a whole new one. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. It's a great follow. He's a great guest. Always appreciate him on the show. Keith, thanks so much. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Really thrilled to have her back on the show. She's at Lindsay Adler on Twitter. She covers the Yankees for The Athletic, one of our great sponsors slash partners. Lindsay, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. What is your (laughs) from the moon looking down sense of this Yankees team right now? Because look, it's easy to overreact. It is two months into the season now. You know, I've got some stats that I think can squash a lot of the concerns, but just, you know, you, you look at this team 24 seven, what is your overall take of this team right now? Um, all right. Well, I'm going to talk for the next 25 minutes. So you're going to go, uh, <laughs> Good. Let me go get some coffee some right back. or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, this is, this is going to sound really, um, silly, but to me, the, the most important figure to keep in mind right now is their team record. Yes. Um, the fact that whatever issues they may have, they have not taken themselves out of the race. They have not dug themselves a hole. I, there have been days where they are definitely uh, winning games by, you know, sort of scratching and clawing. But like uh, the, the most important thing with this Yankees team is that the offense is underperforming. The pitching is very excellent and um, they probably should not have the record that they do, but they are pretty much good to go for the rest of the season from this point, despite that. I think Um, think that's right. I mean, look, 31 and 25, they're on pace for 90 wins, which it's fine. That that's probably scaring some people because that's generally the playoff cutoff point, right? I mean, you got to get to 90. So they're, they're trending at like 89.3 right now. So I can get like, you know, the sky is falling uh, out of the local, local news there. That's just going to happen because they're projected at like one Oh five to start the season. So but, but let's talk a couple things because you mentioned you know a few angles that I wanted to get to anyway. Mm-hmm. There's injuries. Every team has them. I'm a Mets fan. I'm dying. I'm swimming in injuries right now. So <laughs> yeah. um, I can sympathize to some degree. But two starters sitting on the bench right now, four relievers, the starting center fielder, and Luke Voigt, the starting first baseman. So it's not like that's you know that's nothing. That's a lot. That's a lot. And it's a good time to have that problem because those players most will get healthy in time. Uh, you know, right. Hicks probably won't be back. We don't know about Kluber. That one scares me a little bit, but yeah, it, it's, it's early. It's okay to have those things. Now, like you said, they've sustained awful hitting and are still six games over 500. And divisionally speaking, I, I thought the Red Sox would be better. I think they're overachieving. I thought the Rays mm-hmm. would be able to hold serve. They're well overachieving. So I think the, both those situations come down to earth a little bit. And I think the Yankees will be right there at the end of it. So I just wanted to squash the initial skies falling conversations at the top of our conversation here, but I got to give this one. I I, got to throw this out there because I thought John Sterling was going to lose his mind a couple of games in a row here. (laughs) What is going on with the base running on this team? I, 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 it's, um, (laughs) you know, it's, I mean, I don't that is a correct response. Thank I mean, you. I'm, yeah, that's that's my answer. That is my answer. All right, uh, so I got to transition into a tough conversation then, because is that coaching? Uh, it's so unclear. I mean, it's it's things like getting bad reads, or you know, like maybe there was there was an out Gary Sanchez made the other night where it was like, well, Miguel Andujar hit a really hard hit ball. Like I could see, you know, Aaron Boone gave a nice explanation for it. And, but ultimately it comes down to, well, he hit the ball really hard. If it had made it past the shortstop, uh, it 
it probably would have been a scoring play for Gary, um, which would have been nice for them. But the read was not entirely there. And then so it was a pretty humiliating rundown. Um, I asked Clint Frazier last night um, after there were a couple more outs on bases, not by him, um, what he's what he's done after those after those outs. And he said something like, oh, I've had the luxury of doing early base running work twice this season. And I was like, that is the perfect way, you know, like Clint, Clint describing it that way, I thought was funny. It's just, it's. Are I they taking it seriously though? They're taking it seriously. And like, we don't usually see Aaron Boone show much emotion mm-hmm. uh, in, in the dugout. You know, we sometimes see him go off on umpires, but like, there was at least one time, maybe a, maybe a couple other times where the camera would go to him after a base running mistake. And it's like, this dude's been in baseball all of his life. Like this stuff is driving him nuts. Um, it's, you know, their third base coach, Phil Nevin, uh, has been out for a number of weeks uh, recovering from COVID, but like he's huge on fundamentals. Like their, their first base coach, Reggie Willits, base run. I don't know. That's to an important me, point. I didn't think about that. You're right. That still exists. It, it does. To me, it's so I would say it's definitely something they care about and they understand it. Um, like I, I hesitate to use this words, but this word, but to me, it almost I don't know how to explain it other than like base running yips. Um, it's <laughs> it's it's sort of to me the same issue that a lot of guys are seeing at the plate, like the or or even in the field. Um, the The mistakes happen and then it seems like they're self-perpetuating um it's like i don't even think that which is this is like my fundamental dilemma with trying to write about this yankees team is i don't know how from my point of view i don't know how you coach them out of some of these issues because it just it's a spiral effect and aside from you know uh handing a guy a black and white cookie after a game and saying like okay the best thing you can do right now is forget that um what I'm worried it's is that I'm worried, baffling. and this is a rough thing to say, but I'm worried that the team just doesn't have the baseball IQ it needs because there's not discipline at the plate. There's not savvy on the base running. It's that that's a harsh way to look at it, but I'm worried that that's, you know, that's worst case scenario. The yips is certainly a nice way to say it. And, uh, but you know, you know, they have the ninth most errors in the league. You know, the, mm-hmm. you can't really analyze the base running from a statistical standpoint, although you can to, to some degree, but, I think the easier way to look at this is this team is pressing and they're being told to be overly aggressive, probably by Boone and probably by other, you know, some of the veterans on this team and and the Gary Sanchez situation you laid out is a perfect example of, I got to go, you know, I'm going on Mm -hmm. contact here because I got to get runs. This team is 21st in runs right now. Okay. This team hasn't been outside the top five in runs in six, seven years. Um, They're 13th in home runs right now. So they can't even bail themselves out as the Bronx bombers right now. They've been exactly. top five for the past four years. They've, they've been first two of the, pe- of the past five years. So this team's just not producing. They're second in total bases, though, Lindsay. So they're getting on base <laughs> and then either running themselves out of the out of the inning or they just can't get that big hit. It's This has to be an, a massively frustrating team to follow right now. It's, you know, it's it's interesting because it's hard. It's just, it's just hard to write about them because, um, you know, we can... 
delve into whatever mechanical issues guys are having at the plate or whatever happened on, you know, bad reads or bad sends. And I, I do think um, at least, you know, at some points in the season when you made a good, a good point, like I think at some points in the season when runs have been hard to come by, yeah, they've been trying to be aggressive, which, you know, sometimes you try to be aggressive for that extra run and it doesn't work out for you and that's fine. But the cumulative numbers are just, um, I mean, they've, they've lost an entire baseball game on the bases. They are, they are into losing an extra inning game on the bases in, in early June. So, you know, for me, it's like, it's, it's, it's trying to walk a line between the, you know, panic from the fan base, the frustration from the team, the plain objective underperformance, because I think thing that's also like that I'm trying to keep in proportion is like it's not just that the Yankees are having a down season it's that while while everyone else is it's that you know the the gap between they were they where they would be expected to be and where they are so broad but it's 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 hard to describe over over and over the fact that basically like you know there are some days when they when they get it together Mm -hmm. when there there was a stretch um in late april where to me it kind of actually looked like they had adjusted to having lower offense you know they had good pitching their defense was working well um i i don't think the yankees wanted to be a team that's you know winning games three to one but like you know what like if it gets the job done whatever but the the interesting thing to me is that when the issues arise they arise in the same way every single time it's um you know, they go down early and then they just look completely deflated at the plate or it's, they get on base, they get some sort of anxiety and then they run out, run into outs. Or then it's, you know, Glaber Torres makes a poor defensive play and then, and then he has a few bad at bats and then he continues to make poor defensive plays. Like to me, it's not, to me, it's hard to understand how the Yankees manage whatever raw material they have right now, because the fundamental thing for me is like, well, when they hit these bad, these, these bumps in the road, um, the, the, the question for me is like, can they get out of this? Mm-hmm. Because I've just seen it spiral so quickly. And like, it's, it's interesting to watch them ebb and flow because yes, a, a baseball team ebbs and flows and, and the Yankees over the last few years have been built to have sort of a lot of variance and outcomes. And it's, and it's interesting, but it's like, they had a great series at home against the White Sox and they went to Detroit and they looked terrible. And then they were, you know, down on themselves facing the Rays, but then they, you know, happened to win a game because Clint Frazier had a walk off home run. And then (laughs) last night they looked like much better. And it's just like, I am, I I don't feel like I'm writing about baseball. I I feel like I'm writing about like um, the, the, yeah, the psychology of the Yankees, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't it feel psychology. like that this team is yes. mentally soft. I, I just did a segment about the Boston Celtics and that huge shakeup that just happened, and and I think that's the takeaway from that team in 2020 was that team was just soft when when adversity came via injury via better teams getting in their way, they kind of laid down, and I, that's what I'm seeing out of this Yankees team, and, and whether that's the youth just isn't ready. Or the you know the veterans that are here just aren't built that that way to, to sort of you know put guys on their shoulders, or the coaching staff isn't isn't built that way. I think there is a flaw. 
I, I think there is a flaw that won't go away over a 162 season. So uh, what is it? Is it, is it? is it just that this team isn't gelling? I would say that, look, we can get into all sorts of things about roster constructions yeah. and, you know, offensive mentality and whatnot. But to me, the, the flaw with this team is that they're not loose. They're very tight. They don't seem to be having fun. Um, hitting coach Marcus Timms even said that the other day that he said that to the guys, which is, which is exactly what I'm observing. It, it drives me nuts to see someone like Glaber Torres, who is so young, who has such a high ceiling on his talent, um, going out there and, you know, after, after he makes a poor defensive play, then for at least a, a stretch, it, it looks like he's going out there trying not to make a mistake mm-hmm. instead of trying to make the play. And it's, hard to watch and you know this is this this Yankees sort of core is like one that is actually really you know prided itself on resilience and dealing with adversity and I've been thinking a lot about the 2019 Yankees where I don't know all of the injuries that you rattled off earlier I was like oh yeah the 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 Yankees are faring pretty well in the in the injury regard because this is this is a light injury year for them Um, oh yeah in comparison you know following following the past couple of years. And so they can, they can win with what they're doing. But in 2019, they had guys going down and then they had, you know, uh, people coming out of nowhere and performing and it was fun and it was exciting. And it, you know, and it was enjoyable for the guys who were working to come back to at least see that. And they had CC Sabathia, they had Cameron Maven. I mean, when I saw Cameron Maven get DFA'd by the Mets, my first thought was, Yankees should be on the phone with him. Like, I don't, I don't know if Maven can still hit. Um, I don't think that matters. I just think they, you know, they, in 2019, Mike Ford came up and was exciting and was hitting well. And they just had all of these things to keep them buoyant despite a lot of adversity. Um, and I just, they just don't seem to have that buoyancy at all to me. And I don't know if that's, because they they need to add someone who okay maybe can bring a bat but like more importantly can bring the clubhouse excitement maybe they need a fresh face uh, or if it's just that something needs to happen with this you know current group of guys to to loosen them up because I've been thinking about the 2020 Blue Jays and how you know they were able to go into things with no expectations. Uh, and then they they played well. They they reached the playoffs, and that's great. And they were, you know, they were just they were the 2020 Blue Jays were just happy to be there. And now they have <laughs> now they have expectations, you know, and that always changes it. But um, it's just, you know, it's I definitely see a difference between this Yankees team and teams that are. I guess like the Blue Jays, just happy to be there, or even the Rays, like you know, just just getting it done. There's, yeah. Yeah. you know, I fans want to understand like what's going on with like individual players at the plate and whatnot. But to me, like when when one of their biggest issues offensively is just completely missing on hittable pitches in the zone, I'm like, that's uh, I'm sure there are mechanical adjustments, but this is just a this is just like this is not a fun game right now. They, they are, they're not. Just <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and, and I can't blame them. Like their, their track to winning games does not seem to be a fun one right now. That's right. They got to scratch and claw, like you said. And look, the baseball side of me just looks at them this way. They are a, 
old school ground and pound, you know, kind of uh, move, move the move players around the bases, knock them in <laughs> with singles. That's how they're built right now. But they're still trying to be a 90 home run team. They're still trying to be a top three home run team. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for pitches down and in, you know, versus leaving the ones that are up, up and away or down and away for, for somebody else. That they're just not screwing enough runs. He's easily said the pitching's been unbelievable. The numbers are ridiculous. Second in ERA, second in WHIP, third that's in batting average against, and that's like I said, without Severino and now without Kluber. Uh, that side of it is totally good. And when I last had you on, that's what I was ragging on. <laughs> Did they oh, do yeah. enough with that pitching staff to get themselves through a season? The answer is probably still no, even though these numbers are ridiculous. And, and now with the injuries, so smooth transition. And you kind of alluded to it yourself. I'm just going to give you an ultimatum. What what happens first here? Do they acquire a, a, a star kind of player? Do they send somebody out to shake things up? Or do they fire Aaron Boone? What happens first in 2021? I don't really... Sounds like you think they need it. Something, right? They, they need something, and I don't know what it is. Like I, I, I don't necessarily imagine them firing Boone or Aaron Boone in season because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to understand the, the flows of the season and the, um, you know, consistency can work. I, I don't know. I just, I just, it, it's, it's not a top of my list of things that I expect right now, but I don't know. But um, I, I think one of the interesting things as we come up closer to the trade deadline is like the Yankees are going to have to make a decision. They're, you know, up at the luxury tax threshold. They don't want to necessarily cross it. Um, The issue is sort of who is out there. What do they add to actually, you know, who, 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 who are the one or two players who could make a significant enough difference Mm -hmm. with this Yankees team to overcome, to, to help them overcome the flaws that they have. So, you know, I, I think in that regard, it's going to be tough because the Yankees have been very firm in holding on to a lot of their young, you know, team controlled players. Um, I am guessing that they, wish they had moved Miguel and uh, yeah, right when the, when the time was ripe yeah you know, it's it's they're they're going to have to actually take take a hard look at this roster take a hard look at this team take a hard look at you know this season's baseball landscape and decide for themselves like one if if this if this season of contention is worth investing in and if they are comfortable making that investment in a way that I don't think they have in previous years, like, which is, they've obviously invested in the team, you know, they went out and got Garrett Cole, there's this weird imbalance. um, I think where sometimes fans are like, you know, they're, they're not making an effort where they are, but it's, there just hasn't been that urgency. And so, to me, I think what's going to be interesting will be to see how, as we get more player movement around the league, like how much urgency the Yankees act with, and to some extent, like they I think they need to see how much urgency this team is worthy of. And in a sense, you know, I, I am not, I am not a person who is low on this Yankees team. Like I don't, I don't really think that their first two months they've, they've done enough to tread water that like they can basically from this point, see the rest of the season as, you know, I, I hate base to use a baseball cliche, but like as a fresh start, Mm -hmm. basically Um, they, 
They're not trying to dig themselves out of a hole. They're not trying to sustain anything. They can just, they can be a different team from here and it may be fine. Um, it's just sort of unclear what they need and how they can get themselves to stop making these these mistakes. I mean, it's, I, I thought for a while in May um, that, they had a few good weeks. I was like, okay, well, they seem to be rolling. And then the thing that was really alarming to me wasn't that they had a few bad games or whatever. It was that like, they, they hit the brakes and they, they started to skid and it was the same skid that I saw from them in April. It was the same skid that I saw from them in September. And it's, um, if you, if you keep falling into the same bad, yeah, I guess overall headspace as a team, um, that makes me more concerned about how you're able to, sustain the times when you are not in that headspace so it's something is yeah there's a lot of complacency right it just seems like either they dig themselves out of it in the next couple of weeks or the or the front office will have to do it for them to me the worst thing that's happening right now to the yankees is that the cubs are in first place because because the cubs have three maybe even four players in that roster who probably should be traded this offseason because of upcoming free agency and now right now that's a no right now they they have to be buyers slash push ahead you know team Versus, you know, if they're five games under 500, I think Anthony Rizzo to the Yankees is getting a, ma- a massive amount of steam right now. So yes. I, it's, you know, the, the Trevor Story rumors were squashed pretty quickly. I don't think giving up on Glaber Torres is, is the answer right now, even though, you know, nine errors in 40 games, no good. But the something has to give here. And, uh, you know, when you're looking at the bad teams in baseball, you know, the Nationals, the Pirates, the Reds, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, there's probably a player or two there, especially in the outfield, that you can pluck, which should be enough. I, I, we've seen it so many times. It's it's an old game. You know, just bringing in one new, fresh set of eyes to this team and, and to the clubhouse, to your point, can be enough to sort of shake things up. I don't think Aaron Boone needs to get fired. I don't think Gary Sanchez needs to be DFA'd, you know, although, you know, right. maybe he does. But um, Gary, Gary is not their problem right well, now, which is like sort of an amazing <laughs> turn of events, given yeah. everything over the last few years. Like <laughs> Gary, on, on my list of priorities, I'm like, you know what, like maybe fans should accept that like Gary's going to have like a low average strikeout yeah. and like hit a bomb. He's or not going to be a Hall of Famer, right? Double at some point. <laughs> Good. Good. Let let the guy live. Uh, there's we there are other fires to put out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just think there's an acquisition coming, and it is June now, so we're allowed to start talking about the trade deadline. It's possible, um, mm-hmm. but I just look at the teams at the top of the divisions. You know, I don't trust many of them there: the Giants, the Cubs, the Mets, specifically in the NL. Um, you know, we always know the A's kind of falter at times. I think teams were hoping the Houston Astros were going to be a lot worse than this so that they start <laughs> yeah. to fire sell some of those players, but it's not happening. I mean, it's not happening. I, I, I think the Astros are actually a pretty good example exactly. of, sort of what we're talking exactly. about with that looseness. Like the Astros, like for as much as it probably irritates fans around the league, like what do the Astros even have to give a crap about right now? Mm-hmm. Like everyone hates them. Nobody wants them to succeed. There's no, there's no, there's no pressure in impressing anyone outside of Houston. They're just like, whatever, like it, it is what it is. Like they're actually able to kind of go out and play without expectations because it's just, it, they're, they are living in a different baseball world from everyone else. You're right. What You're right. So it's, sometimes it's nice to just sort of, I guess, um, 
be at a point where you don't have to care. And I, I think that's the thing with the Yankees is, is that they just seem so self-conscious and they care. And, you know, I think, you know, you bringing up the Cubs, like, yeah, I, I find it very funny that suddenly the Cubs were like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, start to wind things down over here. And now they're <laughs> playing really well, but I, I, I keep coming back to the Cubs and thinking about the Cubs and thinking about their, you know, window of contention and their intention to sort of be a dynasty and how they won one world series. And that is, that is an amazing outcome. That's an amazing outcome for any team. It's an amazing outcome for Cubs fans, but I've been thinking a lot about like the 2019 Cubs, I believe where something is just not right. And there's all sorts of weird offensive issues. And it's, if I were a Yankees fan, the thing that would concern me would not necessarily be the day-to-day of how the Yankees are playing or looking. I would be concerned thinking about the Chicago Cubs and seeing how quickly a, you know, potential, I hate to use the word dynasty-based, but, you know, but a, sure. a very solid core can just sort of stall out. That, to me, would be my biggest concern, like, each game, there's 162 of these things. Like shit goes wrong. Um, <laughs> I I just I just keep thinking about the Cubs and the weird vibes that they've been emanating from the North Side for a few years now, and that that to me is sort of the, the worst case scenario for for Yankees fans because like it kind of seems like a bummer that Cubs fans have sort of had to watch this for the last few years. So. Um, so, sort of in that in that in between area, you know. Let me give you my uh, my kind of unique look at why the Cubs may be doing what they're doing right now, and why the Yankees may be complacent, as I think we've kind of identified here. Mm-hmm. The Cubs have something to play for. Yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of players on that team that are staring yeah. down a brand new contract. Do you know how many players on the Yankees are set to be free agents after this year, Lindsay? It's like two, right? It's Corey Kluber. It's Corey Kluber. <laughs> He is the only oh, Yankee no. that is set to be an oh, unrestricted no. free agent after 2021. There's not a single player on this team that is truly fighting for a massive contract. Now, we can say Aaron Judge is in the conversation for that, and Glaber Torres can be if he gets right, but nobody else. Aaron Hicks has been paid. Garrett Cole has been paid. You know the conversation. Severino's got two years left. Chapman's got two years mm-hmm. left. I, I know that it's kind of a cheap, surfacey way to get out of this conversation, but I, it's, it's what the first thing I look at is – how is this team looking over the next couple of seasons? Is this going to be the roster? And the easy answer is it very well could be. Uh, the, the Yankees have set themselves up to where this is the start of the window, essentially. Yes. And maybe the 2019 Cubs are exactly the conversation to be having. They're just having a year. They're just having a year mm-hmm. internally where, it's, where, some, where things are wrong, the chemistry's off. Maybe one or two quick changes fixes that, but it could just be a bad year. And that just may be what, what the Yankees and Yankees fans are going to have to deal with doesn't mean that they can't come back in 2022 with this basically same roster and a heck of a lot of players. I'm talking like 10 to 10 to 11 now staring down free agency, Gary Sanchez being one of those Aaron judge being mm-hmm. another. And now we've got focus. Now we're laser focused on not only playing baseball well, but also there's dollar signs in my future. So I, I, it's something I always think about. And this team is, is exhibit a of there's just not that, that, that low hanging fruit sitting out there for them right now. Yeah, that's a really good point. They're 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 not they're they're basically playing for 
next year each other but also for <laughs> for their own reputations yeah. basically which is not quite the same yeah that's uh, I mean that's the larger concern for me is like I I am still pretty like uh, I basically don't have any expectations for this Yankees team like it it really wouldn't surprise me like if they won the division um right. like I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they do take off um, by any means, which is sort of the funny thing. Like I just, I am, I'm very much still in wait and see mode, but um, the the bigger issue is like, sometimes when I think about this roster and the roster construction, I think about the game of Tetris and how you sort of get to the point where it's like, well, Tetris hasn't told you that you lost the game and can't make any more moves now, but like, I don't see how to maneuver it. So I, I I do sort of look at the the roster and sort of the upcoming years, and I'm like, I don't understand where this L-shaped piece is going to go, but, like, I have this L-shaped piece that I need to put somewhere. So, yeah, I – if to me, that is a really big concern. Like, if this Yankees team falls flat, if they're mediocre, if whatever happens, um, I don't entirely know how to improve it from here. So I'll get you out of here on this. You mentioned the luxury tax threshold and that they're about two, mm-hmm. three million away from it. Um, so any kind of move without, you know, you know, sending a player out is going to push them north of that of that threshold. Mm-hmm. Well, has you have you ha- have you been given a strict answer as to why that that's such a concern? I mean, this is the Yankees. Uh, <laughs> I to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, it's, it's major league baseball structure is disincentivizing teams like the Yankees from spending as much money as they can Mm -hmm. to put a, to put their best product on the field. I mean, I think, I think luxury tax payments, um, it's like a cup of coffee to the Yankees. They're, they're, they're (laughs) not, they're not as expensive as people think they are. I mean, the Red Sox, the Red Sox paid like what, like, was it 8 million in, in tax revenue in 2018 or something like that? Like it's, it's not that much, but, um, and winning a world series, boy, you yes. really recoup that pretty freaking yes. quickly, but I'll give, I'll give you know, it to you straight. The Dodgers right now are 51 million over the tax threshold. Their, their tax bill is set to be about 22 million. That's nothing. Okay, uh, that's nothing. That's the Los Angeles Dodgers. We're, we're, I wish $22 million were nothing to me, um, yeah. <laughs> but it is, it is to the Dodgers, but um, well, yeah. not nothing, but yeah, it's to me, the, the Yankees are working with the system they have, which it's very easy to make an argument. They should not care about that system. And I totally understand that point of view, but to me, the bigger, larger issue is that like in the quest for, I guess, you know, better parody or whatever, um, the the effect that I see in the Bronx is that it disincentivizes the Yankees from uh, putting together the best team that they can. And so I sort of, I don't know, I, I go I go back on the luxury, I go back and forth on the luxury tax thing. Like, I totally understand why fans think it should be no concern to them. I think the Yankees fan base is like kind of unique in that regard, that sure. they don't care how much uh, ownership spends. They're like sort of like progressive on that point. Um, but I... I totally get it. You know, I think when we see things like salary dumps from the Yankees, I think it's a pretty bad look, but like they're working with the system they have. And to me, the system that makes it seem like the Yankees are 
giving money to their competition um, when it's sort of unclear how that competition is using that money. Um, that, well, the first the, place the whole, raise, whole, you mean? Yeah. The, the whole thing is just botched. The whole thing is just botched. Like, uh-huh. I am... I, I, I may have like big market myopia here and I, I would guess like fans of, I don't know. Yeah. I guess the Rays and the A's and the Cleveland Indians may be uh, not happy with me saying this, but like the Yankees should be allowed to spend what they want. The Dodgers should be allowed to spend Amen. what they want. Um, and the, the, while, while I understand that, you know, raising the floor for less wealthy teams is definitely an issue. Um, lowering the ceiling for the top teams is also a really big issue. So it's, I don't, I, don't I agree <laughs> the, the the game needs eyeballs. The Yankees and the Dodgers bring eyeballs. Let them, let them do what they need to do. Let them become yes. Manchester United and Manchester city and let them go and spend and get whatever money they need to acquire from sponsorships. However, it has to happen. Um, I think, I think that part of the game needs to evolve to bring eyeballs back. If those teams are consistently good, then teams will have something or fans will have something to rely on every single year. And that's what the game is missing. There's too much parody right now. <laughs> There's way too yes. much parody. Um, yeah. You can go from, from worst to first almost immediately in this league right now, which is crazy. Here's the other, here's the problem I have with the Yankees not, not pushing. And, and look, the, the answer to them not going over the threshold this year could be exactly what our conversation has been, Lindsay, which is they don't think they realize they're not as good as they thought they were going to be. So why mm-hmm. do it? Why push the envelope this year specifically when it might just be one of those years? But Boston is like right there with them in terms of the tax. And I know yes. that's incredible to hear because they just dumped Mookie Betts, but they're right there and they're ahead of them in the standings. And I think they have a little bit more juice right now underneath them. So what happens in, in Yankees land <laughs> when Boston makes the big move for Max Scherzer or Boston makes that big swing and goes over the tax threshold and really shows that they're invested in 2021 where the Yankees maybe put, hit the pause button. What happens then? You know, I think, granted, I don't talk to everyone in the fan base, but I, I hear from them a lot. What are we lot. even doing here then? Um, oh, oh I, I hear from them a lot. Um, bless, bless their hearts. I love all of my thousands upon thousands of semi-feral Yankees fan children. Um, bless your hearts. Um the, the sort of funny thing to me is like, yes, the Yankees and their fans need to keep the Rays in mind, need to keep the Red Sox in mind. But like so much of what's going on in Yankees land doesn't even have to do with the competition yeah. right now. It's like, you know, I mean, when when we saw Yankees fans like throwing baseballs on the field in April, it was it was it was because the Yankees are frustrated or Yankees fans are frustrated with their own team. And so seeing, seeing Boston take off like that, like I think it would be like an easy point of discussion <laughs> amongst mm-hmm. the fan base, but the larger issue is like, it doesn't matter if it's uh, ultimately, it doesn't matter if it's Boston doing it, if it's Los Angeles doing it, if it's whatever team it is that that does these types of things. The the fact is the Yankees fans feel that their team should be better. Their team should have a better construct constructed roster. Their team should not be worrying about the luxury tax threshold. And um that is and, and the way that the Yankees are are moving is the issue. So I think I think it's sort of like an easy um thing to be additionally frustrated by like I, I think there would be more frustration if if the Red Sox who looked sort of 
like their future was like a little bit unclear yeah, they a couple years ago. Year. Yeah, right. Yeah, like if, if they turn around, yes, it's a it's a bad thing or it's 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 not a good look for for the Yankees fan base to to see, but ultimately like what's happening in Yankee Land is internal. It it's it's a bubble yeah. in the Bronx, I would say. You know, the the Yankees the team on the field, I often see them to me, a lot of the time, the outcomes of their games, like, I don't mean to take away agency and the skill level of other teams, but, like, the Yankees as a team, they seem to beat them, beat themselves a lot. Uh, the, the organization in terms of constructing the roster, it's just... It, yeah, what I happens elsewhere right. is is convenient, is like a convenient cudgel for for the Yankees fan base to sort of, like, needle the organization but overall like the Yankees fans already have their core expectations and they're not being met I think what we're getting to as a conclusion Lindsay is that it's Mike Trout or bust right (laughs) okay but is he going to be back from the IL by the time the Angels come to town because I need to know if I should go to that series or not like (laughs) I'm talking about Mike Trout on the Yankees Lindsay Mike Trout on the Yankees I know Um, he's out of his walking boot as of today he's out of his walking boot Okay. Yeah. I mean, before they can even trade, think about trading for Mike Trout. I just need to know if he's even if he's going to be here. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Is, for personal reasons. When when I saw him get that injury, I immediately went to Yankees.com/slash/schedule, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, like five to six weeks. Like, let's map this out. So, yeah. <laughs> Look, Otani's must see baseball. That's good enough to go. Um, he is, is must see baseball. I'm going to have a chance to see this Yankees team in Buffalo here in 13 right. days. So I'm hoping they get something figured out by then because it's been tough to watch. They, they have, they've had some wacky adventures in Buffalo. So uh, <laughs> That's right. They hate it here. They hate it here. It. It's the lights. <laughs> it's all about the lights. Let's finish there. She's Lin- at Lindsay Adler on Twitter. She's a great follow. Please read her on The Athletic, of course. And uh, we'll have you back soon when the Yankees figure this thing out. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Lindsay Adler. She's at Lindsay Adler on Twitter. Find her on The Athletic as well. And to Keith Smith, at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. A great follow for the NBA fans out there, financials, all that stuff. He's, uh, he's right with us in terms of the, the NBA content that we love to get to. So uh, we'll certainly be having him back soon. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash for great articles like this at 40% off your first year. And, of course, to Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. If you're a prospective athlete looking to get yourself into the NFL, the NBA specifically, learn about their financial pre- and post-draft loan program at morganstanley.com GSE. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. <laughs>